Expressing who you are is a bold act and finding outlets for your identity to shine requires courage. This has been a consistent theme and drive for today's guest. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to exploring what it takes to live boldly amongst the busyness and mess of our world. Amanda briskin Reddick is an Australian-born designer, author of one of the country's most successful fashion stories and the formidable creative impetus behind the label AS. In 1996, Amanda founded accessories giant Mimco and built the brand into a fashion powerhouse over 12 years prior to its sale in 2007. We chat about this journey and where Amanda's drive for hard work comes from. In 2012, inspired afresh, Amanda launched AESC, a label celebrates a rational approach to design that champions traditional artisan skills, high quality materials, sustainable production methods and a functional aesthetic. Creativity, expression, beauty and a healthy dollop of I've got this drip from this conversation with Amanda. Beyond the labels and success stories is a beautiful conversation about heart, family and wisdom. So please soak up the insights from the generously driven Amanda briskin Reddick. Amanda, welcome and it's such a delight to, to be connecting with you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be chatting. You've built a career in fashion and accessories, and we're going to unpack some of that through this conversation. My first question to you, though, if it wasn't fashion, mm-hmm. is there any other field that might have piqued your interest early on or that you might have seen yourself venturing into? Um, really interesting question. I don't ever feel like I've never actually thought of what I've done as being part of a the fashion industry, so to speak. It's always very much been my own journey with the respective brands that I've started and the path that I've taken. So I don't actually, um, I've never thought of alternatives and I've only ever done what I've done, but I don't, haven't really thought of it in in a pigeonhole in terms of industry um, because it's been much more about like um, the feeling of the brand and the message and um, the, 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 I guess what I want customers and experiences to be that are associated to the things that I create. I understand that you grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Tell me a little bit about that background that kind of drew you to that intrigue and that interest to kind of follow the things that that fascinated you. I think that the most important part of my upbringing was um, in terms of being entrepreneurial was my my parents' support um, in me to believe that I could do anything I wanted to do. There was sort of never like you can't. I don't feel like I ever heard you can't do something. So um, my parents had entrepreneurial parents who were um, Holocaust survivors. So they came out to Australia with nothing and built, you know, families and, um, and I guess livelihoods off the back of nothing. And so the entrepreneurial spirit comes very much from being, um, part of a family that um, immigrants from the Holocaust and my parents then, um, I guess, exposing me really generously to my grandparents' lives and that being a very sort of um, community-based experience and my family being really generous with love and support um, and, I guess, the freedom to live my life. Um, my grandfather was in property 
my um, one grandfather was in property, my other grandfather was in um, zip manufacturing, carpet manufacturing. So everybody, it wasn't foreign to me having businesses. And I guess to that extent, um, it's like it's just what you see. So then it's like quite a natural uh, path to take. Um, even though I had worked for other people after finishing uni, it was like, oh, I'm just going to do that now. Mm, yes, so interesting to be surrounded by it that that you just figure it out or that you just kind of follow that path or that you think you can that mm. you try you know you try yeah do you have a sense on or even maybe a, a memory of an experience of what some of those philosophies were when you talk about an immigrant uh yeah. you know background and particularly coming from that holocaust of yeah. what do i what can i build with the opportunities that are in front yeah. of me is often that kind of philosophy what were some of the key messages that may have been said or, or unsaid in that upbringing very much sort of like a respect for life um, and not taking things for granted irrespective of what the means are. And I, I feel that very much today, like as much as I did when I was growing up, um, even though my family, my grandparents did incredibly well. So as a family, when I was born, I was born into a lot more comfort than my parents were. Um, I feel like I've never taken anything for granted. And I think that that was very, that was a very big message that I lived with growing up with my grandparents who I was very close with who were Holocaust survivors. My mum was only 21 when she had me. So my grandparents were very young grandparents. Um, so uh, they had a big impact on me. And I feel that um, when I say messages, it wasn't like that was told to me, but it was just how we lived. It's like, doesn't matter what there was. It's like, you just don't take things for granted. And um, it's not it's not a feeling of abundance or there's enough of everything and I don't feel that now and, and I didn't then. I think also just work ethic of like just working um, and it's work is a weird word now but it's life work. It's like it's part of your, it's almost like part of your spirituality in a way it's part of your existence. Now whether that work is commercial, philanthropic, at home, um, wherever it is, it's just an ethic to that. And I, and I feel really privileged to have had that because it's helped me discover my passions. It's helped me um, be driven. It's helped me express myself. Um, and I think sort of like um, I think I saw that with my grandparents' struggles from the Holocaust. I think they expressed a lot of those emotional journeys through their work and their lives, and I think probably I've emulated a lot of that. Work ethic can be that sense of um, sticking with someone, putting something, putting in the extra effort. Um, and sometimes that, whether it's business pathway, I really love how you talk about, you know, work is an interesting word because it's really just where we put our attention now. Exactly. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and, and that can come across we'll often talk in our business around action precedes clarity sometimes you just got to get in and do just stuff do, yeah. and then see whether that worked or not um and I can imagine some of that that real kind of what we call work ethic but that sense of just get in and have a crack was very much a part of it and keep you. trying and and I think it's underestimated like I feel privileged to have been exposed to it because I feel like it's um 
having work ethic is actually a privileged a privilege for yourself through your own journey. It's like being able to stick with things and then you explore your own, um, I guess you explore yourself through that. So I think it's really valuable. Mm. Were you brought up obviously with an awareness of their experience in the Holocaust, but were there different layers as you've become an adult yourself of understanding their experience? Very much. Um I think very much in terms of the generational difference in, inf- in impact for my parents and myself. Like I think the hard blow was to my parents' generation because they mm. were the, they are the children of Holocaust survivors, and I think that the grandchildren probably uh, easier. I don't know if easy is the right word, but I think the blow was to my parents' generation, and I feel that my parents. Um, suffered a lot from being uh, Holocaust, the, the parents of Holocaust mm. survivors, and I think that they've been incredibly generous in letting us sort of um, maybe have a lot of the spirit and freedom. I mean, spirit of self to explore mm. our own lives without the pressures that they had um, being in the generational position that they were in. Yeah, really interesting Mm. Um, reflections for yourself coming through school and Mm. that inevitable decision once you come out of school of what am I going to do? What, what, what path did you follow? Where did your kind of work ethic, but also your curiosity take you? Um, I worked throughout uni, through school. I just remember being really excited about, I, I liked, I've always liked working, whether it was in a milk bar at the time, milk bars. Oh, being a door bitch, because um, <laughs> yeah. it, it you know I you earn better money being a door bitch than like waitress you know being a waitress or something. Yeah. So I I actually have always enjoyed working. So throughout school I did whatever you know I, I worked, and then mm-hmm. during uni um, I had jobs, and I guess the path from school to uni was just very like I I don't think that I've ever really laboured those big decisions and I just like I sort of like just be to move and then once I'm within position I then I I, I guess I channel the energy towards where I feel the right direction is. So I um from school I went to um what was at the time Chisholm University that ended up being Monash University and then did a degree in human resource management marketing. And then I was got to the end of my degree and I, I enjoyed, really enjoyed uni life and I travelled and I worked throughout and then I was like, oh, I want to make sure I get a job. So I, I really, again, didn't, I want to make sure I get a job before everybody's out looking in the market. So I decided in semester three or four to start looking for a job and got a job before I finished my degree um, because I wanted to secure that and I, I got the most incredible experience from um, from a, an acquaintance who became a friend um, in the IT industry and I ended up working for um, an a, a IPC, a Singaporean public company who were manufacturers and distributors of hardware, like literally mm-hmm. components, and I did everything from marketing to operations and distribution. It was the best uh, learning experience. I didn't have kids um, and I, you know, was a complete workaholic but I loved it um and then I sort of I guess I I went from there in at the age of 26 in Melbourne you started MIMCO in 1996 yep where 
when and how did the idea go mm. from being an idea to mm. becoming a business? Because plenty of people have mm. ideas or might see something. Uh, but it's a whole other thing to go, this might be something I pursue. So talk to mm. me a little bit about what sparked it and then that pathway to to it actually becoming a business. So the Singaporean company um, embarked on a massive rollout that then hit hit sort of a finan- a, a bit of a, um, a crossroads in terms of blowing out too fast, too quickly, which was great for a, a uni graduate because I got to learn the full spectrum of startup world. Hmm. And then um, that had sort of come to the end of its cycle from over about five or six years, um, I was just in the early years of marriage, had no children, and I think the way I remember it is it was like, well, if I'm ever going to start my start a business, I want to have kids, but if I'm ever going to start a business, and I, I, I still feel like it was never in my head that I wouldn't have my own business, but it was never like, okay, I'm going to have my own business, and that's why I often find when people say, oh, you know, should I start my business, I'm like, I don't know if that's a decision because I don't remember making that decision. It was more like I, I want I want to do this expression, and yeah. so Mimco is my 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 name is Mim in my family, so it's Mim. It was Mim's company, and my mum calls me Mimka, so it was like Mimka is like sort of my name, Mim's company, and then I was like Mimink, Mimco, and then I was like, no, I think Mimco. I was on a holiday in Thailand. I've still got the piece of paper I scribbled on. Love and it. I was like, and I literally was like, I, was, I thought about starting in other categories and I was like, I just like fashion. So I started in that and it was not more, it was not more, <laughs> more planned or um, thought out other than it's a good time in life to do it. I've earned good money thus far, having only been out of uni for that many years. I had worked really hard. I, I don't think... In, I, I feel like I'd done everything I could. I was marketing, I was operations, I was sales, mm. I'd rolled out stores. I don't think I felt like I needed to go and work somewhere else. And so I was like, I'm just going to try this. And it, that's literally how it started. I, I love that. That um, a big part of it is just follow the breadcrumbs. What's the next piece? What's what's kind of sparking me um, that even unconsciously probably to just back myself and and give it a go. My understanding is you started with with handbags. Is that correct? Yep, correct. What was it about that in particular? Was there something where you kind of went, hey, I'm looking for it? Could you see a gap in the market? So I walked through the Myers um, when I was when I I was quite surprised. I've always really enjoyed fashion. And when I started working, it was the first time in my life that I found shopping hard. I'd always sort of like I've always been very into had always been very and still am very into vintage shopping. I was into dresses from when I was two, three years old. I was dressing myself. The time that I found it the hardest was when I left uni. I went into the workforce. I was like, what handbag do you carry? What suit do you carry? I'm like 25 years old. There's nothing to buy. I don't even know if you would remember. There was a brand, I don't know if it's still around, Jane Jane Lamerton, I think it was called. And it was like there was nothing, there was no identity for a woman working. Mm-hmm in the early 90s, at 25 years old, there was no identity. And the hardest thing was a handbag. So I was walking through Myers. I could not find a bag. And so forever through those years of working, I like I was 
I felt so like not myself. So I sort of worked out the clothes, but the bags were really weird. And and I was like, and I wore, I still remember the day I walked through the ground floor of the Myers department store and I thought there are no brands for my age for a handbag. And that was literally why I started that category because as you asked before about fashion, I think I sort of found my way through with the suits and I did a lot of like, um, which I still do, alterations. Like I bought suits and I shortened the skirts and I le- I bought blazers that were different sizes to skirts and I like did this whole different proportion thing. And shoes I worked out, but bags I never nailed. And so I started bags. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's a personal need. I'm yeah, sure others have got it. It's so it's cliche. <laughs> no, it's it, obviously, and, and the proof is in the, the pudding years later that that's a perfect kind of place place to start. Often in the early days, um, whilst there is some thinking around kind of the brand and a brand identity in essence, it, it very much becomes part of who the founder founder is was um was there much thinking behind what mimco will stand for and and the what the brand will represent or was it more that that actually became no it was very clear about um but it was a very clear vision of um creating accessories that um that enabled um women to express their individuality and i wrote that on a decal in like on one of the first or second stores about like finding your own journey through accessories, which now is such a like a it's a nothing special idea. But at the time I felt like accessories were the thing that could enable you to express your personality and accessories was sort of like a very staid category and it was like either fine, fine stuff or junk. And so I was like creating something that was, you know, the jewellery was in later years the jewellery was handmade um the bags were I guess contemporary for that time and accessible um and then I went into hair accessories and and other things as well but it was very clear about self-expression and it's like I still feel that I I mean it's still you know my remit today (laughs) I love that that sense of um what are the ways to express who you are but also and if I go into that spiritual sense it it's it, that means that you need to know what I like and who I am and how can I then express express that. In terms of that vision and certainly that sense, as you say, that's part and parcel of what you bring even now. For Mimco as the brand, how did that vision change as the business evolved over the years? I think the vision evolved through having – I guess I am a deepening execution of that and that meant that we what we just talked about was product but then it was as much the product as it was the service and having and really investing in in teams and and wardrobing and styling and persons personal service and um it, it didn't change, it more just permeated in lots of ways and manifested into something that became a very strong cultural DNA. Being decisive is a really critical part of mm-hmm. business, being able yep. to make decisions about whether it's product lines, whether it's styles, whether it's mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the type of things that we'll be taking on, whether it's actual retail space. 
um, online, all of those sort of things. And as a, as a founder and a business owner, sometimes it can be that navigating decisions with alongside self-doubt, mm-hmm. uh, you know, am I making the right decision? Often as a business grows and becomes more successful, there's more people that are happy to share their opinions. Um, how have you navigated, has self-doubt turned up and what are the ways or do you have tools on on kind of navigating that in moments when there's needed to be or, you know, those those key business decisions have needed to be made? I think, I think self Doubt and other people, I think, is a really interesting subject because you, what exactly what you just said, then you need to be a strong decision maker, and people like it's that um, weighing up macro to micro. So sometimes the short term decision may look like uh, may may not look like the logical one to the people around you, but for somebody that's got a vision, it's like no, you need to make the illogical decision for the long term vision. And I think that that's sort of where the self doubt of short term, medium term, long term comes in. I don't doubt isn't a, I, I don't fear and doubt are not big players for me. I, I'm always like I'll I'll fix. I'll deal with outcomes. I'm not scared of dealing with whatever an outcome is, whether whether we whether it's a, an outcome that brings, you know, that has a really incredible positive um, result, or if it's an outcome where a budget's been overspent or a decision hasn't delivered the outcomes. I'm really happy to deal with all with all scenarios, and I I feel ca- capable in juggling it. I think the self doubt is more when. Uh, when I've struggled to communicate the vision enough so that the people around understand because you need everybody on board. And I think when I was younger, I got angry and frustrated and now I reflect more and I say it's my communication that's failing here, not their intellect or understanding. And so I think the self-doubt is, isn't so much self-doubt, it's almost more under the banner of communication so that we can have a constructive conversation because, you know, there's not that much that's really right or wrong. It's how you mm. deal with the uh, the flow and effect and then, you know, how stakeholders feel about it and, you know, there's no point in charging ahead if your team don't have buy-in. So when we naysayers are often the best the best people to have around you because it forces you to challenge and communicate better. Um, self-doubt is also really interesting. I think self-doubt comes into play sometimes, you know, um, with, you know, creative and commercial decisions um, where creatively I'm confident and I feel like, yep, that's the zeitgeist, but it may not be returning commercially. Yep. And so where what do you do? Do you reverse? Do you surrender? Do you um, change their, I don't know if, they, if they're if they part of self-doubt, but they're the things that go through my mind and I'm mm. always weighing that up because I'm not, you can't, in order to employ people um, and, and have a livelihood, it can't always be the idealistic creative vision that's att- that's got self-doubt attached because it's not common, it's not common. Uh, if yes. that makes sense yeah. so that's probably where the self-doubt comes in and I don't sort of give myself the luxury of oh it's too the, the timing was bad it's too early like mm-hmm. it's either you know it flies or it doesn't um it's either working or not yeah and I think self-doubt is bigger as I get older like I think doubt 
is I, I definitely, definitely think that the, you know, um, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I really yeah. do. Yes. Oh, totally. And sometimes that uh, the ignorance early stages in business is is amazing. It's, it's really is. It's it's a, it's it's magic dust. <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah. Yep. You make calls. You follow paths. You back yourself in a way that because you don't know um, anything else. No, no. I really love that sense of actually if others aren't on board, it's where where have I let down that communication? I'm almost smiling at the frustration of that of going, I know the vision, you're turning around, no one's behind you. <laughs> going, but that's what's wrong that's with you? you? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's you, it's not me. God damn it. <laughs> okay, where are you at? What steps do you need to to step through to get there? In terms of um, and I'll couch this the question this way and and give you just a little bit to think about it but in terms of um MIMCO across its you know um time do you have a favorite failure and what I mean by that is has there been an experience that you've been through that you either surprised you um or really left a, a learning uh for you in terms of what that what that experience was you spoke before about creatively seeing a a trajectory but commercially that might not have um matched whether it was timing or not timing is there one that comes to mind for you do you know I find this really hard to answer because I see everything as like one and I feel like if I pick like every everything that may any and this is not to defend bad decisions or failures but nothing jumps to my mind only because to me it's all one body of work and the outcome is the outcome and the beginning is the beginning and everything in the middle if you take if you dissect one part of that Mm. how do you know that it's not a house of cards and everything else that followed that wouldn't happen so nothing stands out um, I think, though, that from a personal spiritual point of view, um, I think that I I lacked um, good communication skills and EQ in the early years of being an entrepreneur and I would mm-hmm. love to have honed those skills and learned better skills sooner as a leader and as a manager. So maybe not so much on the business stuff but more on um me as a person and my own character. Um, so I think that I could have potentially really achieved, you know, you could have potentially had status quo and everything, but I think as a human being I could have been an, a more evolved leader in terms of managing my own temperament and and, and, mm. and my own aggression, like my own determination. So the mm. determination doesn't have to be aggressive. Yeah, interesting has that shifted for you yeah very yeah. much because I, yeah. I feel I'm in much I'm in more control and I own who I want to be whereas when I was um in my 20s and 30s there was me and I was executing a vision now I have a vision for who and how I want to be and I have a vision for my enterprises and they've got to work together I'm not going to sacrifice you know, uh, at all costs being, you know, um, a, the, the person or the leader or the human being spiritually that I don't want to be at the cost of the business. I can do both. And and I f- think probably if there was one thing, it would be that. It's 
So a lot of the work that we do is working with organisations around leadership development. We'll often say better humans make better leaders, but it requires that investment into developing self um, and awareness and and awareness and desire (laughs) to actually go that's worth it other than you know and sometimes in the busyness of business and in the busyness of momentum that's not the most important thing it's the getting a product out or getting things done and Mm. getting getting a team moving so really interesting through um reflection that that's Mm. that's kind of what stood out for you you sold Mimco in Mm -hmm. 2007 Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about uh that decision but also particularly when we started um you know even on that conversation around identity um you know we were talking about that in terms of what you wear and that expression of identity but when a brand has been so much part of your identity how did that shift after after the, the sale? Um, it really, I, it's, it's, it's a, um, a great question, but I have to say that I don't, I've never felt I'm me and my brands are my brands and my businesses are my businesses, they're not me. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I am, you know, I started AESC, I started Minco, I've given birth to Blake, Indian Archie, I'm married, I live in a home, like they're all, they're all part of me, but none of them are me. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm the sum of parts. So I don't feel like I lost um, I lost anything. If, if, if anything, I gained an enormous amount of confidence, self inner self-confidence selling Minco. And that grows over the years because I see it being such a beautiful part of Australian culture um, far away from me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's great. I, I and I've always had this feeling that I started and I can start anything again that I want to. So I don't nothing's lost, it's only gained. And I'm not my identity is not my business. Is that something that um that you've always had or that you've arrived at? No, not always. Yeah. I I, I it, when I've had them um because I feel no, it's just I've never felt like I am one, like mm. that I'm nothing. Like, do you mean like that feeling of like I'm not, like I don't have an identity without my? I don't know what to do with myself. Who am I now? If I walk into a, a party or a restaurant to meet people and they say, "What do you do?" Sometimes those things can come up, but it sounds like no. that's. I really, really love what I do, and I that's why I do it. I don't do it for um like ego and identity and people's opinion of me doesn't drive me really Mm. doesn't maybe sometimes even more even to my detriment I I just like everyone's living their own life everyone's got their own stuff going on in their head um I I don't really like I think a lot of that stuff's um it's really superficial and you can buy it like if you want (laughs) if you want to be famous (laughs) yes yeah Yeah, yeah. and you can buy it in so many ways yes so many ways (laughs) (laughs) um but nah and I think it's because I really love what I do and I do what I do Mm. I'm not doing it for an ulterior for, for that for that motivation yes yeah in 2012 you launched AESC Tell me a little bit about that brand. Uh, I, I just I really love AESC. I think AESC is the is is a very 
is the is the deepest most authentic expression of something creative that I've ever embarked on it's like it's a truth serum um mm-hmm. I love that yeah it's really um and and I I've allowed myself the luxury of that of really like those commercial creative challenges that I had say in my early years I haven't had with um, AS because growth hasn't been the sole driver of like you know um, growth domination in terms of staff in terms of SKUs it's much more been about craft quality and and some sort of something in me that is is searching for what really matters now in terms of that um that that um, intersection of like consumption sustainability um styling you know what matters to people what matters to me what that journey is um and making here has been I guess that came about through just like a very personal decision of not wanting to travel as much as I did when I had um, Mimco and so uh, in all honesty a lot of it is is really um, of the moment but it came about through my personal decisions like of going I don't want to be away from my husband and my kids I want to be at home I don't have that stamina or energy or desire to travel as much what I love the most is being around the making um, mm-hmm. so I'm like I'm just going to do it here and you know it's the it's it's what I do every day but it's pretty bizarre like we are manufacturing every every piece of AS is made in Melbourne um and it's a very um it's it's already been 10 years and it still feels really new and fresh and very I've I, I resist um superficial growth with it because I don't think that's the end game anymore um I think experimenting and exploring and building relationships and um producing quality is 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 really what this journey has been about do you think that's the secret to it feeling fresh? Could be. It's could be. You could have nailed it. <laughs> I don't know. It still feels. It still gives me like. It still gives me like startup butterflies. But it's ten years and it's established. But I yes. don't think of it like that. It's like the baby that you don't let grow up or something. Um, you know, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's, yeah, that because you know your babies, your parents tend to like not let the helicopter. Um, yeah, exactly. I do, I do. Um, but I, I believe it's it's honestly it's like it's what I want in brands that I buy from. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want widgets <laughs> you know I want things that are ma- that come from a place that matters that have yeah, a what story. I heard as you were were talking about it almost as you went into it is also that um I'll say the the personal and professional checklist that cross over yep. don't want to travel totally. I I really I know I like being part of the the building and making um and so you know for those listening regardless of what you're doing or what you're um thinking about doing it's so important I know for me personally to go well actually what do I want from this um and that's actually then what fuels the energy uh because you're creating you're not resenting getting on a plane you're not resenting the fact that it uh you know I'm looking for quality but I don't have a oversight of how it's made um those things really kind of come together I get a sense from this conversation that both creativity 
beauty and that connection expression of identity are really key for you outside Mm. of and this might go into that kind of blend of work do you have outlets for creativity that aren't work like uh, Mm. what are the ways that you kind of fuel Mm. that for yourself yeah look health well-being um and exploring um new stuff in that space is definitely my um, I see it creatively, like whether it was like try, like superficially trying face masks eight years ago when I've travelled or like I love health well-being stuff. I love um, exercise and I see that creatively. I, I do see mm. my journey with exercise, health and well-being as being creative. Um, home interiors and style in my house is my hobby as well. So that's a big creative outlet. I love doing flowers. It's, it's all the same, but like you know, it's not it's not a commercial practice. It's all like just for pleasure. And um, I, I like merchandising the shelves in my kitchen with my plates. <laughs> <laughs> I love cutting flowers. I like buying cheap flowers and then making flower yeah. arrangements. Yeah. Um, I just I like organizing my wardrobe and like color blocking it and then turning it into star blocking and like I'm visual and I'm tactile and um everything most of what's around me that I see and touch is that um Mm. creatively I love reading and listening to podcasts Mm -hmm. (laughs) love 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 like that's for me also like I'm I'm always my head is always full I'm always um I don't think I'm a stimulant junkie, but I like I I really I'm I'm big on life, mm. um, and and good relationships, ideas, um, yeah, different ideas. perspectives, those sorts of things yep. are you know can become a bit of a, a fuel. You this might cross over into some of the things that you've just said, but how do you self safeguard your own energy so to to live. Um, into the enterprises that you have to um, you're a mum of three kids like what are the ways and do you have any signs where there's it's starting to fray at the edges and or do you have any kind of key non-negotiables around your own energy Um, I think that that is the single biggest challenge without doubt Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that um, as a woman as you age as with each year the importance of that to revisit that is like I, I can't even express for myself how important it is because it's constantly changing. Mm. Um, exercise for me is absolutely critical. If that falls away, like that time, and I think it's a combination of like being physical, being alone, um, thinking about me because I don't think mm-hmm. I do that very much um, and Learning to say yes and no. If I say to, if I have too many boundaries, let's say with my kids, mm. then I actually really feel very um, dissatisfied with life. So it's like, it's a combination of when to say no and when to say yes. And saying yes is also really important because as a busy woman, you could always say no to everything because it's always justified. But I hate myself when I do that. So it's it's actually self care for me and those boundaries is about that balance of being aware of the person I want to be and how generous I can want to be and how much 
I need to look after me if that makes sense. So, um, and I, I guess the way a lack of lack of balance with all of that has manifested has been through um, like small, nothing significant, mm-hmm. serious, but health things that have come up, like you know, low iron, um, and you know, having blood tests and showing levels of things that should be different. And, you know, if there's something that I say to my younger sisters and I say to women who I talk to a lot, like who are my age and younger, I'm like blood test, blood test, blood test, because that is like, because psychologically you can, I think, talk a lot around things and stress and they're big words, but I feel feel like um, discovering blood tests and having the right blood tests is really, is a really helpful scientific way to say, it is okay or it's actually really not okay and you're not okay and you're not setting those boundaries and there's some ones that need to go into place. I I literally have a script to go and get a blood test that I've put off all week. <laughs> so you, you find, you a path, you find pathology near you because yeah. you should be going all the time. Um, yeah. It's such like, a useful reminder. And I didn't I didn't know that 10 years ago. Like I've only, this is like, a this is, I mean, and it maybe it's silly, but like I, I've only known how important that is and it's just, it's really, it's quite a relief because sometimes when you are busy and there are lots of stakeholders in your life, so it's not necessarily, everybody's, it's all just perception, whereas blood mm-hmm. tests are actually, you know, and there's lots of other ways to self-care and it's not all just blood tests, but it's really helpful because, you know, often the chemicals in your body are a good are very good signals for for that stuff. Yeah, I was talking to someone only a couple of weeks ago. This very thing that some of the best self care we can do is go and get a check up with your GP, go and get your skin checked, go and get your bloods done, go and get your teeth checked. <laughs> like that's as much as we think it is the beautiful massage and space and time away. But some of those things can be the most transformational when it comes to 100%. that protection of because it's long term protection. Mm. and also just to know what you need yes yeah and how that changes and evolves throughout our our lives and what else is is on our plate so that real safeguard of energy in order to keep having the creative outlet and the work that you do sounds really key I know we are I'd like to say we're coming out of it but we've certainly navigated um uncertainty and change at a significant level across Mm -hmm. the last three to four years navigating uncertainty itself can be uh overwhelming um on a on a personal level so whilst you know collectively I think all of us have had to face it at different levels when it comes to our relationship with uncertainty all of us have a slightly different kind of sense for some people they'll go look I'm okay with it because I can roll with it sometimes. And, you know, there can be times in our lives where three months ago I could have, but today I can't. It feels Mm. like kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. For you, what's your relationship like with uncertainty with in terms of what's next, what's around the corner? I love that question. How do you relate to it? I think I have an unhealthy, an unhealthy positive relationship with uncertainty, much to my Good. husband's. Tell me. <laughs> much to my husband's dis- dismay and heartache. Sometimes I, I think I sometimes get more worried about things being locked and loaded than I do about uncertainty because I love going with 
the flow and I love going with how it feels more than I do saying this is what's going to happen and then irrespective of changing circumstances that's what happens I'm very scared of that because I I think I really lead from my heart and I find it hard to um if I don't feel good I don't feel good and um but I've, I've really tried to work on being better at commitment and better at like that's the plan that's certain we're certainly going to do that and my husband's brilliant at that and I've really tried to, um, so in relation to uncertainty, I've really tried to learn to embrace certainty more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't always have to be up in the air all the time. No, it <laughs> doesn't. You can, you can land. You can land. <laughs> my husband would go, you land here. <laughs> can we? I'm like, just, I'm di-. It's like my, my thing is like I'm digesting. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I like I'm that. a big digester. Yes. It, it, it yeah. is the truth though it's I'm not it's not a delaying tactic it's genuine but sometimes you've just got to like force the digesting it can't be so like um organic um yep. and I'm trying to improve on that because it's not it's not easy to live with that it's too yeah. it's too fl- floaty for people totally totally you can do it but once I commit I go like I don't change after that if that makes sense so I think there's something and you got to remember if I'm going to delete like it's whether it's personal you know whatever it is but uncertainty I didn't the the uncertainty of like what you what you alluded to the last few years I don't think it personally um I didn't feel like you know I really feel for a lot of people got very um lost kilter yeah. you're lost from it yeah. I, I I didn't feel that I sort of yeah. saw the quiet as a massive opportunity I, mm. I I loved the pause yes yeah yeah. Yeah, there's so much to kind of sit in in that space as yeah, well. Like it just got really quiet. <laughs> Particularly for someone who's probably travelled, um, I certainly found that I loved not getting on a plane for a little while. I do like I like long I I like I like less interruption. Like mm-hmm. I love it when things just like keep going. I feel like my flow is my my mm-hmm. best state. Yes. Yeah. And that allowed that for everyone. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and thinking time mm. just to think. In terms of thinking, um, I'm interested in kind of your own personal philosophy, and I want to couch this question in terms of that intergenerational. I read something the other day that often we think our job is to make our ancestors proud, and yet what could we do if we made our children? proud of us and thinking mm. particularly as um, you shared so beautifully your connection with your grandparents and uh, the traits that they've passed on but for yourself what what yeah. might be a personal philosophy that that you would love your kids to to know instinctively or to know within themselves what what comes yeah up to I've thought you? a lot about that lately because I think I've moved into that stage of life mm. in terms of it's about them, like the, the, about the future. And 
I think what's on my mind at the moment is actually respecting them and giving them the space to carve out the future. So rather than being a, um, rather than talking at them and, um, and pushing our ways on them, actually giving them the space to like almost giving them the space in the world to do that without judging it, mm. but still being stable, strong and confident of who I am, that balance. So less so less like a, a, a checklist of I want to give over this type of world, but like it's like a coexistence of like that intergenerational, like we add this value, they add that value. I think a lot about that, you know, personal life and business life, like even my son setting up the podcast, like asking for help where we can help each other mm. and being a team because it's like if you look at like, um, communities and tribes forever and a day you know you've got your elders and you've got your you know you've got youth and I think we, we're all better when we've got each other mm. and so I think like carving out space for them to make their mark but being of value is is my is my goal and that goes both ways I love that and it's a really beautiful kind of nuance of and and that challenge of asking for help uh we don't always have to be the ones so hard how have you navigated that oh I'm doing it all the time like I wrote my son an email at 6 45 this morning asking for help because I that is I have to say one of the things I am worst at is asking for help it's my I just I I don't understand like it's do you know why what what might get in the way no um I think partly leaning into that, what we started talking about of being made to believe I could do anything, mm-hmm. I think I'm a bit almost overly independent a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so when I need help, I don't call out. So whether it is health, whether it's emotional, whether it's um, – and people like – I like being asked yes. for help and others do too. And it's like, I just, I don't understand. I really am focused on doing it more, asking for help. Mm. Yeah. We're the first ones there when others are want help. And it's not like I'm scared of being vulnerable. Like I'm not like a, I have to be able to do everything at all. It's like, I just like run myself to the ground a bit. <laughs> just cause I'm just like going, going, going. And it's like, just ask, just get, you know, my dad's amazing like that. Like he really, selflessly offers me help a lot and he's he's incredible he really helps me because he the way he does it and I want to learn from him I want to do that for my kids Mm, beautiful to have that role model Mm. Amanda what's exciting you about what's next um I feel like I'm going into this like conversations like this actually Mm. we're exploring like trying to bring to the surface the thinking behind the creativity and um, putting maybe for lack of a better word, not a legacy but some sort of a position in place around this type of thinking and that was why I was so excited to talk to you because I feel like this is the first of that sort of thing where it's not that I'm a business person and I'm not a philosopher but I spend a lot of time thinking and I do create things and they have cultural relevance and I want that to be, I want to make a mark with that 
Um, and that doesn't, and I think I'm trying to explore what that looks like because it doesn't mean it needs to be about selling X number of thousand handbags or making a certain amount of money, but it's like how do you share that thinking because I think ultimately that's, that's what the world needs more than anything and so that's really excites me. So a conversation like this excites me because it's like, this has been on my mind for the last two or three years. How do I cross that? That um, And I, I have these conversations with people around me um, and I know it's in me but I don't get it out. So what excites mm. me is moving in that direction um, to be more vocal about the spiritual, the emotional, the psychological and somehow um, intertwine the lessons of life you know, from motherhood and just life lessons and business into that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel really honoured to to be having this conversation with you and there's so much that I've certainly, you know, taken away and will take away from, from this connection and even to that, um, you know, what comes to mind when you talk about weaving the spiritual, the emotional, the business you know, which can be the rational kind of thinking. Um, it also comes back to almost that that core philosophy of the expression of identity, the internal kind of piece, and how those yeah. become really powerful. So I've I've adored this conversation. If I come to my final question to you, which uh, will come full circle, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean yeah. to you to live a standout life? To live your live your truth. So, like an inner pride for the life that you're living with, with a, an accountability to oneself. So, so it's it's. I thought about it because stand out to me. I've thought a lot about that because stand out to me. It's almost like it implies an outside perspective, but I I interpret it for inner. Beautiful. I love that. For me, it's not about notoriety or, well, yeah, you've, you know, very much that it's not about notoriety or others. Um, it really is just that connection of what do I know to be true? Who am I in this moment? Cause it changes. Um, mm-hmm. and other things that I'm doing an expression of that or going against that. But that's beautiful. Amanda, thank you so much for your time. It's thank been such you. a delight chatting. Thanks a lot. If you've loved this conversation, my ask would be is if you can share this with others so that we can continue to create and dive into great conversations with extraordinary people. If you are on Apple Podcasts, if you can take two minutes, maybe even 30 seconds to rate and leave a review for Standout Life Podcasts, that would just be so invaluable for me. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I love these conversations, but more importantly, one of the things I do love to hear is the feedback on how people connect with the guests and the conversations that we dive into. Until next time, have a great week. I'm Ali Hill for Standout Life. Mm-hmm.